from Matthew 25, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go, rather, to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Signs of Christ's return. Graham spoke last Sunday about the return of the prodigal and in the evening of a father's love for the prodigal son. Today I want to speak about the return of another son. I want to speak about the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Another earthly story with a heavenly meaning spoken by the Lord Jesus Christ. In the previous chapter of this, Jesus is with the disciples on the top of the Mount of Olives. And he delivers the Olivet Discourse to them. This is not the first time Jesus speaks of foolish individuals. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, he tells them of a foolish farmer who had so many crops he wanted to build bigger barns. But God says to him, Thou fool, tonight thy soul shall be required of thee. In Matthew 7, the foolish builder who built his house upon the sand, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and the house fell down. The story today is about ten virgins, five were wise and five were foolish. In this story, which Helen read so well for us, we read there the story of a wedding which is about to take place. And in the Jewish culture, this was a great occasion. It's a great occasion in any culture, I'm sure. But in this occasion, you know, all the village would turn out to accompany the couple to their new home. They went by the longest route possible on foot in order to receive as many good wishes as possible. 
The rabbis even agreed that a man could abandon the study of the law to go and share in the joy of a wedding feast. The point of this story lies in a Jewish custom which is different from anything that we know. When a couple got married, they did not go on honeymoon. They stayed at the bridegroom's home for a week, and there they kept open house. What a shame, guys, eh? Oh, I didn't mean to say that. Only their chosen friends were admitted. And so it was not just the wedding ceremony that the five foolish virgins missed out on, but the festivities of the whole week. Because they were unprepared, they missed out. The custom was for the bridegroom to send a man ahead of him to announce his arrival was imminent. The man that was sent out, something like a town crier, you know. Oh, yay, oh, yay. Is that what they say down in England? Aye, okay. Ah, oh, there he is. <laughs> My prompt. The man would shout out, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. But the wedding party had to be ready at any time for this announcement to be made. They were unprepared. The immediate significance of this story was directed to the Jews as they were the chosen people. And their whole history should have been a preparation for the coming of the Son of God. They should have been ready for him when he came, but they were quite unprepared and therefore shut out. In this day and age when there is going to be a wedding, cards are sent out saying, save the day. Then later, the invitation arrives, and finally, the day comes for the wedding to take place. So the guests and the bridegroom are usually all gathered and waiting for the bride to arrive, as it is her prerogative to arrive late, and some of them really do. <clears throat> My wife didn't. She was so keen. There I, uh, I didn't mean to say that. Let of the Lord. In those days, it was the custom for the groom to come to the bride's home first. But in those days, the groom could arrive at the bride's house at whatever time he desired. It could be in the evening. It could be in the morning. It could be the day before. So the bridesmaids and the bride had to be ready for his arrival. Then the bridesmaids had to accompany the groom and his bride to the place of celebration, carrying their lamps with them to light the way for the invited guests. To, to arrive late to the venue was considered a terrible insult to the couple about to be married. I want to tell you a story. I'm looking around the congregation. This is a story from Hopeman. This elderly couple were invited to the wedding. And they were really concerned. They wanted to look their best. We all want to look our best on a wedding day. So they got their daughter to come and dress them up. And she put on the, the man's suit and straightened his tie, lovely white shirt, cufflinks and everything, shiny shoes. The woman with her flower and her hair nicely done, even lipstick on, pushing the boat out in those days. This is going back a long number of years. And she said, right, okay, you're okay. This is the way you need to prepare for tomorrow. Right. 
So she went away and she left them. And in the morning she came back and in those days nobody locked their doors. So she tiptoed into the house and she tiptoed through the bedroom and she opened the door and there they were lying like this. Like Stalin lying in state. They just remained the same way they were because they wanted to. That's a true story again. Only tell true stories, Graham. They were ready for the wedding. A few months ago, an MP arrived late for an important meeting at Parliament. And because of this, he felt compelled to resign over the issue. I don't think he did, but we need to be in time. So how can we be made ready for this great event? Do you see yourself in this story that Helen read? We're all part of this story somewhere. We are in it. In this story, there are similarities between the two groups. There's the five wise virgins. There's the five foolish virgins or bridesmaids. You know, both groups were invited to attend. Those who went into the feast and those who were shut out. And Jesus invites every one of us here today, with no exception. He wants you to be part of that great wedding feast when he returns. You know, both groups responded to the invite, and they turned up with their lamps. Both groups believed that the bridegroom was coming, definitely, most assuredly, So who do these two groups represent? There were five wise and five foolish virgins. They were all invited guests. You see, they had received their invitations. And you've just received your invitation. If you notice in the story that Helen read, they all had their lamps. In the same way, Jesus invites all of us to come into his kingdom and into the great wedding feast. Both groups had responded to the invitation. So who do they represent? They represent you and me. They represent the church. A picture of Jesus' followers, those who profess Jesus, but while waiting, they all fall asleep. The day of the bridegroom did not mean, the delay of the bridegroom, sorry, did not mean he was not coming. So have we responded to the invitation? It is the same with Jesus Christ today. Be assured he is coming again. All Bible prophecies have been fulfilled up to this time. Jesus said, I will come again. And so if Jesus said it, I believe it. If God's word says it, then we have to believe it. It is the absolute truth. Time magazine, which is not a Christian publication, had a picture on the cover in one issue, a picture of a clock with the hands of the clock set at two minutes to midnight. Two minutes to midnight. That's how far gone in time, the scene of time, even unbelieving people believe we are at. In verse 6 of the passage, we read, At midnight the cry goes out, 
the bridegroom cometh, go out to meet him. But they were all fast asleep. Have you ever been going somewhere important the next day and you sleep in? Anybody done that? Come on, be honest. Show hands. Oh, two people at least. You're the honest ones. I've done that. What a panic comes over you when this happens. It takes some people longer to wake up than others. Some people are instantly awake, but others need time to get their thoughts together. Probably half a day. <laughs> you know, one captain I sailed with when I was in the safety standby vessels used to say to me when he came up on the bridge for me to hand over the watch to him, and there was a lot of things happening down at the Brent Field, ships moving about, things happening, information they needed to give him. He used to say, tell me nothing till I've had at least two cups of coffee. Just imagine the rushing about in that house. Ten young ladies trying to rush about. Can you imagine that in one house? Pandemonium. It's bad enough when two of you are trying to get ready for a wedding. Let me in the sink. No, I'm in there first. Maybe they didn't have sinks in those days. Mistake. <clears throat> but just imagine all the rushing about. You know, people can be in such a rush that they do all sorts of things. Another quick story from Hopeman. Nobody for Hopeman here. A young lady in Hopeman slept in one day and she was going away. It's true. She was going away to, well, going to work. So she woke up and, oh, I'm going to miss the bus. And she had to run up to the top of the road to catch the bus. And she slushed her face. That's washed her face, sorry. Washed her face quickly. And she grabbed her handbag and she ran up the top of the road. Oh, and there the bus came. She sat in the bus. And when the conductor came along, she went to take her purse out and she opened the lid of the kettle. That's what happens when you're in the rush. That's true now, that's true. If there's empty folk in there, they would tell you that. They would tell you the person. Jill, don't you be telling envy. We may laugh, but you know we need to be ready. So when will this great feast take place? No one knows the day or the time or the hour of Christ's return, but we must prepare for that happening. And we must be prepared to meet our Savior face to face. The second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ will happen right on time. Look at the world stage today. Time is coming to an end and Christ is coming to usher in a new age. There are wars and rumors of wars. Russia, North Korea, the Arab world countries. Famines, pestilences. Iraq seeking the way to make atomic weapons, earthquakes and floods all around the world. Bible prophecy is a wonderful proof that the scriptures are the infallible word of God. It is faultless, flawless and trustworthy. The Old Testament prophets foretold of a great battle, not like any other battle recorded. You know, we can think of Waterloo the battle of the psalm and many others, but this will be the greatest battle of all time. If you want to check that out, look at Ezekiel 
chapter 38, from verses from 16 to 23. It says there, when Gog attacks the land of Israel, the battle of Armageddon, a Bible word for the mountain of slaughter at Megiddo in the plain of Jezreel, 60 miles north of Jerusalem. I've been there. I've looked over the plains. And I just imagine what's going to happen. We can only imagine. You know, that was the place exactly, the place that Gideon with his 300 chosen men defeated the Midianites. In Ezekiel 39 verse 2, it speaks of the people of Gog from the far north. Look at the world map, a colossal country far north from Israel. Check it out, Russia. And Gog means big or colossal. In 1821, a map was issued in Russia with all these names mentioned. Meshag and Tubal, I'm not reading it for sake of time, but Meshag was Moscow. The Russian bear hasn't gone away. He, is, he was only hibernating. But now he's awake and he's roaring under Vladimir Putin. In 2014, Russia invaded Korea and the Ukraine where they shot down an airliner over the Ukraine. They denied all knowledge of this. Yet U.S. military satellites saw a missile launcher heading back towards the Russian border exactly at that time. If we look in Zechariah chapter 14, verses 1 to 4, it says there, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh. In verse 2 there it reads, For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken. The cry is, Behold, the bridegroom is coming again. So back to our story. When the ten virgins awoke, just imagine the clamor in the house, so much scrambling about, trying to look their best, getting all their fine dresses on. Eventually, five are ready with their lamps full of oil. Their lights shining brightly, but five had no oil, so wanted the clever five to give them some of theirs, to which they answered, no, go and buy it somewhere else. So they went to try and buy some. They went to seek somebody to sell oil to them. So what does that oil represent? Usually it means the Holy Spirit, but the oil in this case speaks of the inward preparation of a person's soul. If we have not experienced this inward preparation, we will not be ready for the bridegroom coming. We need to be justified in Christ, meaning our sins forgiven, because of the blood of Jesus Christ shed for us on Calvary's cross, the lamp of witness in our hand, fed by Holy Ghost oil. The five foolish virgins had lamps, but no oil to give light to others. See, that's why we have a light burning, to show people in darkness the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you're here today and you're not saved, you need to get Jesus into your heart and into your life to be ready to meet him one day. So how is your personal health today? How's your heart? Is it beating fast or slow? How's your BP? That's what everybody checks. I took my tablets this morning. I forgot yesterday. But more importantly, how is your soul today? 
They had no oil. Their oil ran out. Their lamp was going in fumes. You know, it's just like driving a car till the red light comes on. I'm sure we've all been guilty of that one time or another. <clears throat> when that happens, you know how far you can travel. So you take your foot off the accelerator and you just cruise along at 30 miles an hour thinking I'll reach the petrol station. How many of us have done it? It's not good for the car engine. And you know, it's not good for us as believers spiritually to be running on an empty tank. Are we running on the fumes of last week's sermon? We were challenged at the prayer meeting Thursday night by Matthew. Challenged about reading our Bible. Challenged about praying to God. Are we running on the fumes? It says the virgins didn't bring enough oil with them. They had not prepared. We need to keep our lamps all trimmed and burning bright. They knew their lamps needed oil, but they were careless because they had plenty of oil at home. It doesn't say anything about it, but probably they had plenty of oil at home. A church pastor got a phone one night. Your church is on fire. So he jumped in his car and he headed off to the church. And when he got there, there was a man there standing with a bucket and he was throwing water on and running to his house and throwing water on. And then eventually the fire engine came and the fireman put the fire out. So the pastor went and he thanked the man. Thank you so much for helping. That was really good of you helping to put the fire out in the church. And the pastor said to the man, have you been to this church before? And he said, no. The pastor said, why not? He said, well, the church was never on fire before. <laughs> Think about it. The church was not on fire before. We need to be on fire for God. We need to be on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because there are people out there and they're headed for a lost eternity without Christ. So the foolish virgins in the story tried to borrow oil from five wise ones, but they would not give it to them, lest their lamps would go out also, and they all be left in darkness. We will borrow some oil, they said. You know, it's the same with us today. We can't borrow our parents' or someone else's salvation. We can't say my dad was a minister or a preacher or an elder or a deacon. We can't say a singing the choir. We can't say a play in the band. I went to Sunday school. The word of God says you must be born again. That is born of the Holy Spirit from above. There are many things you can borrow in this life, but you can't borrow someone else's faith. The five foolish virgins went to buy some oil, but they were too late. The door was shut and five are left outside. Then they start knocking. Let me in. Let me in. Don't leave salvation. To the last minute. 
There are certain things that can't be left till the last minute, like starting to prepare for an exam on the day before and hoping to obtain a high mark. You know, a person cannot borrow a character. They must be clothed with it. In verse 12 of the passage that was read, we read to hear the voice from inside the door saying, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say to you, I know you not. There are people who come to church, and churches week by week, and they're not ready, they're not saved. There are people who come, and they listen, but it seems to go in one ear and out the other. They have never felt the master's touch on their heart and in their life. Have you had that touch from the master's hand upon your life? The worst thing we can ever hear said to us will be too late. We all know how we stand before God today, the oldest to the youngest here who is able to understand. You know if you are saved or not. I will never forget the moment that God called me and Jesus spoke into my heart and changed my life. If you're not sure, then please do not leave this place today without asking the Lord Jesus Christ to come into your heart to be your Lord and Savior. You know, just one touch from the king changes everything. The five wise virgins had their lamps ready, trimmed and full of oil, ready to light the way. Will you, will I, have our lamps trimmed and shining and burning brightly to show the way to others who are in darkness as we go into this new week? Just want to tell you a little story. Well, life's full of stories, but I love speaking of them because a lot of them have to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> At one of D.L. Moody's meetings in America, he related a story of a shipwreck on a dark and tempestuous night when not even a star was visible. A ship was approaching the harbor of Cleveland with a pilot on board. The captain noticing only the light as they drew near. That was the lighthouse. Asked the pilot, sorry, the captain asked the pilot if he was quite sure it was Cleveland Harbor, as other lights should have been burning at the harbor mouth. The pilot replied he was quite sure, whereupon the captain inquired, Can you make it to the harbor? To which the pilot answered, We must, sir, or we perish. See, they were getting forced in with the weather, and there's no way they could have turned back. Bravely, the old man steered the vessel upon her course towards safety, but alas, in the darkness of the harbor mouth, he missed the channel, and the ship struck upon the rocks in the stormy waters, and many lives were lost. Then Moody made his appeal to his audience, Brothers, the master will take care of the great lighthouse. Let us keep the lower lights burning. 
among Moody's hearers that evening was Philip B. Bliss, the well-known hymn writer, and the striking story at once suggested to him one of his most popular hymns. <clears throat> Brightly beams our Father's mercy from his lighthouse evermore, but to us, to you and to me, he gives the keeping of the lights along the shore. Chorus says, let the lower lights be burning. Send a gleam across the wave. Some poor struggling, fainting seaman or person, you may rescue, you may save. Dark the night of sin had settled. Loud the angry billows roar. Eager eyes are watching, longing for the lights along the shore. Chorus again. Trim your feeble lamp, my brother. Some poor sailor tempest-tossed, trying now to make the harbor in the darkness may be lost. Know there are many times when, as a fisherman, we made it back to Peterhead and we saw nothing but white foam. And then we saw the harbor lights and then we saw the lower lights and we were guided safely in. What a sense of relief when you got into the Bay of Refuge. You know, there is no greater relief for a person to enter the safety of the Bay of Refuge. That is the refuge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I plead with you, if you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, don't leave this place today without first asking the Savior to come into your heart and life. But first, you would need to come to the foot of the cross. You need to ask forgiveness for your sins. And you need to ask Lord Jesus to come and to change you from the inside out. Amen. And God bless uh, everything I've spoken about and his word to each one of us this day.